Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. We, we've chatted to some great people who offer us deconstruction in different flavors or different phases of deconstruction. And I see them, I see them very much as, as multi-layered that each of these cycles of deconstruction are not necessarily a cycle that each and every individual will go through, but understandably there can be any number of individuals out there that are going to go through all of them. And the first one that, that, that has really come out in particular from chatting with both Dion and Christopher has been the notion of deconstructing this, this thing called ministry and this thing called calling to ministry and the mechanisms and that around it. And um, so, so I really see that as being the first stage of, of deconstruction, is deconstructing one's own calling as a career path to ministry. And, and I guess on the flip side, there's the, there's the receiving of it, of it. You know, many people go to church that are never going to get into professional ministry. And there's an unwelcome, uninvited deconstruction that gets thrown at people who are in the pews <laughs> when church leaders deconstruct their calling and go, well, we've got to change this thing or I've got to change this career thing for, for, for myself. Just to start off with, for, for me, the we picking up handles from the conversations that we had with Dion and, and Chris, but we're not really just, we're not, we're not having a conversation about what they said. We're not having a conversation about the conversations with them. We're following on from that just in terms of our reflection of their kind of deconstruction within that phase of the conversation. You know, as so I just pick up on, on specifically your last point, it's, just, it's great to have people that are spearheading a conversation in terms of the season that we can then pick up some of our own personal journey and just think and reflect into some of what they've said. Uh, and so, as you say, it's not a deconstruction of what they've shared with us, but it really stimulates some thinking. Now, I've had some thoughts following on the back of the, the conversations with both Dion and Christopher and their journeys, and you know, also as it pertains to my own. So yeah, let's dig into that. Let's start off with the the notion of what on earth is a calling in the first place? How does someone know that they're called? And and how does that get the ball rolling for them? There, there is two very different kinds of, of extremes that one can have. There's the very emergent, longstanding approach to being called, just the sense of being in the ambience, the awareness, the culture of, I think, especially missional groups that are very strong on getting people to commit their life to Christ and on that backbone to commit their life to a life of service in one kind or another, which starts with some form of volunteering. And then from there, the encouragement to go into professional ministry. I think I see that as, as very much one stream. And, and there's a lot of people that I know that have come into their calling through that as a stream. Generally, it's someone who was at a children's camp at some point, uh, did some equivalent of the service sinner's prayer or you know, coming up, giving their life to Jesus. And then basically got into the whole thing of volunteering into ministry and then made their way into, into professional ministry. So that's, that's one stream as I, as I see it. Another stream is very much the, the person that has a, a, a dawning sense of calling, calling. That's, that's a bit more amorphous, a bit more mystical if one wants to put any kind of veneer on it. It's the whole thing of I had an awareness of a presence. I had an awareness of God calling me. And, and I think that comes in a soft version and it comes in a very immediate in-your-face version. You know, because for other people, there's the very clear thing of, of God pitched up with absolute clarity and basically said, 
follow me, do this with your life. And that was their introduction to it. So I see those as, as being the starting phases in terms of, in terms of what, a, what a calling can be like for people, just to give it some kind of clarity and definition. But then, of course, we fit into a box called the church and the mechanisms that the church has for preparing people for, for, for ministry. There's those two poles. And as I reflect on the idea of people and their calling to ministry and, and my own calling to ministry, and, and, and calling by God. For me, those three come together. The only thing I would add to that is on the, on the one pole, there's obviously quite a spectrum there. You know, you talk about the experience of, you know, the kid at a, at a sort of Christian camp and they give their life to Jesus and, and they're in that sort of culture where it's very much, if, if, you, if you feel a definitive calling towards God, and I'm not saying calling in terms of, you know, full-time ministry or life of ministry or whatever it is, but there's, there's the sense of being called by God towards God and that in, in the culture of that church, that community, that way of doing faith, the affirmation is kind of, oh, well, you know, that, that must mean something quite specific. And, and on that spectrum, you know, my experience has also been that it's not necessarily those that overtly use that, that big missional language of sacrifice your life for God, et cetera, et cetera. But even some of the more, how can I put it, in some ways what, what might seem quite dormant communities, if I think about the traditional church, where the language is not so overt, but the culture is there is also in some ways is, is very sort of subconsciously swirling around the sense of, well, if you've experienced something special like that, well, then you probably have to be a priest <laughs> or yeah. a minister or something. It, yeah. it reminds me of a of a part in a in a book by Thomas Green, who's a Jesuit priest, and he's talking about prayer. And he says anybody who's ever really deeply experienced God in prayer will at some point ask themselves the question whether this is all that they should do with their life. Should they actually just be kind of cloistered away somewhere and spend their days in this, you know, this mystical connection with the divine? And I think in my experience, that that was part of it, is that the calling to ministry and just God calling one, if I can distinguish there on that one pole, sometimes are interchangeable, if that makes sense. And so it's not always a definitive on the one pole, God is calling you. On the other hand, it's just experiences of God and the culture seems to support, well, that only means one thing. And that was very much my experience, was having experiences that other people didn't seem to be having or, I don't know, for some reason, taking them more seriously than the people around me or whatever it was. And there was the sense of, oh, well, that just means that you've got to go into ministry. And then ministry is quite narrowly defined after that. Uh, even in the traditional church, was like, young people's ministry, and then get a plastic collar. Although I've got a little bit of experience in terms of traditional churches, my, my primary experience is, is more the, the contemporary churches, contemporary evangelical, you know, charismatic, you know, light Pentecostalish, even in some places. But my early traditional church experiences is Methodist and Anglican. And in terms of Methodist church, so I'm actually, I'm actually a, a confirmed Methodist myself. Mm. <laughs> so one can, actually, one can actually blame the Methodist church you're going to get into the upper realms of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you're going to get any kind of uh, confirmation like this, make sure it comes from a quality franchise, right? <laughs> and they give you a piece of paper. <laughs> the newer churches don't do that. <laughs> oh, well, may, may, maybe mine's uh, not legitimate because did I get a piece of paper? I actually, I actually don't know. I can't. I can't. <laughs> anyway, we digress. 
the thing there is that is that the confirmation is theoretically a confirmation of faith, but but as it was sold to me, it's a, if you ever get married one day and you want to use a church like this, you need to be confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's sadly quite far-reaching. There was that was that was the primary thrust, and I can't remember if there was much else to it. Really, that's that's what it was. It was a it was a formality. Uh, the notion of of actually hearing from God and experiencing God was not really a part of that culture, as far as I as far as I understood. You know, it it was really a culture of of faith. So any idea that you're experiencing God is is always treated with a vague measure of suspicion. And I'm sure it's not like that in every single environment, but certainly that 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 was that was my experience. It takes me back to the times, I guess, in in earlier earlier Western history, the history of Christendom, and that where where the vanilla of your society and the vanilla of the way in which you raised is 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 religious in the sense that the idea of God is out there, and the idea of Christian values, Christian culture, Christian faith is what you're raised into. You know, mm. and so just as one is raised into work ethics, gender roles, political views, values of honor, respect, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is just part of the ambience. And so in that, in that context, to start experiencing God is to wrestle with the question of faith, but faith from within. Because we're supposed to believe in God anyway, we're supposed to know God, but we don't. And that the getting to know God, but is actually is actually quite hard. It's easier just to get to know a community and their practices and rituals, etc. And and in many ways, I mean that I had a sense that 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 was a large part of the foundation of people around me suggesting not all people, to be fair, but but there was a base of people sort of pushing this. You're supposedly having these experiences, so you should go and become one of our, you know, our guided, our guiding people in this kind of community. Yes. Yeah. Not because we are supposed to be having your experiences, but essentially so you can just come and prop up our continued practice of traditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There, there is a longstanding hierarchical model in that sense of, of God speaks to the few who then go and speak to others on, on God's behalf. You know, the, the, the trickle down thing. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so, so, so obviously you've got some form of Pope or patriarch generally at the top. And then below that, mm. you've got uh, you, you've got bishops and and priests, and God is especially communicated to them, and then they communicate to the rest of the people on behalf of God. And I was never sure whether from which side it comes more strongly, potentially just kind of running ahead a little in our conversation, but just in response to what you've said, it was never certain for me whether the directives from the from higher up the hierarchy were stronger than from the base sort of congregant level in terms of, well, we're the ones kind of hearing, so we'll take the lead in terms of from higher up the hierarchy or the congregants kind of going, we're not actually interested in this stuff. You can go and have your crazy experiences as long as you can continue our communities and our way of function. It was a two-pronged two kind of thing, which was, was really fascinating for me because people would keep coming back mm. week in, sort of week in and week out to hear me speak. Mm. But I could tell that there was a sort of a glazed eyes mm. experience at some point of just, yeah, mm. don't push us too much with some of the rubbish that you're experiencing. Just, <laughs> carry, just carry on with the, the cultivating of the traditions and the practices and the week by week, et cetera, things that we do that we've gotten used to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy because then some of the conversations would be, oh, okay, wow, you're experiencing that. Well, then go and become a priest. Mm. Okay, no, but don't do that now that you're a priest. <laughs> just, <laughs> just do the same old, same old. 
I've been having these experiences. Oh, well, then definitely become a priest. Oh, okay, go and become a priest. No, no, but don't do that stuff here. Okay, well, this is a very weird cycle between going around and around. And, <laughs> and where do I get off, please? Anyway, I'm trying to bring us back to where we were. <laughs> That's interesting. And I guess, I guess for many people, those, those first steps of learning to preach or volunteering and being involved in worship teams or other forms of service, you know, whether it's uh, mm. helping out with, uh, you know, trying to make a difference to the poor or educating people, whatever mm. it is. Those, those are all the beginner steps. But then at some point it comes down to the whole thing of like, we want you to go into ministry or I think I should go into ministry. You know, it's tabled either way. There's some kind of review process and encouragement that then gets people onto the next rung. And, and when I think about it, ministry ends up being uh, quite narrow in terms of career options and the career path. What, what was your experience of that in terms of moving sort of from one rung to the next before before we kind of look at what that rung looks like? Well, but my, my, my experience was quite, uh, was quite difficult because I, I, mm. I don't come from, a, from, from the kind of background where I grew up with, uh, with my biological family. I, I, I ended up in, in, in children's homes. And so, so for me, I, I spent most of my life in retrospect really surviving and doing a pretty good job mm. at surviving, but I wasn't really raised. So I was partly feral. And I had these very clear experiences of God. And, and part of that for me was a very clear directive from God in terms of calling mm. to ministry and a very clear directive to go and study theology. Mm. But that was, that, that was later. So that, that's like yet another step in the clear calling process for me. That's like step four, step five is God speaking clearly like that. And, and being in the context of a, of a Methodist children's home, they followed the classic Methodist thing of, of if God calls you to ministry, the first thing you do is you don't do that. You can do something else with your life, right? <laughs> you take at least two years off, you peg it for two years and you don't do anything like that. But being, being young and, uh, you know, highly uh, uh, obstinate and, and that kind of stuff, for me, it was, it was very clear that I, I, just, I just needed to do that. It, so I didn't go the traditional church route with that. I got a bursary to study anything that I wanted. I ended up uh, basically being able to go study theology at a, at a place called, uh, which is now called Cornerstone Institute. And back then it was called the Cape Evangelical Bible Institute. And it was situated in Surrey Estates. Um, so it was in a, a poorer non-white area in, in South Africa. And at that stage, it was, uh, you know, I matriculated in 93. So 94 was the, the big political transition in our, in our country. And it was my first real exposure to politics and social justice and issues in the, in the broader sense. And that. So it was a big changeover for me. But, but just in terms of that church thing, my first year of, of, of studying there, my engagement with God was not about specific churches and being in church. But there was a process there for me that enabled me to get exposed because it wasn't one of these seminaries that is like, you know, it's, it's one particular movement and it's their Bible college, right? And they're preparing for people in their movement. So, so I was exposed to a wide range of people from in here to Anglican to, to people in charismatic churches, people in highly conservative churches, people highly liberal mm. in their political and ethical views, people like ridiculously conservative. So it was like a whole smorgasbord really of um, different views in that and so for me it was a great environment to 
to engage and 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 debate and wrestle through some stuff for myself. But that that process of being educated was a was a big thing for me, and that process of being frustrated and visiting tons of churches, mm. uh, which mm. also included. So it was an interesting period where I didn't mm. have a church, and then eventually landed within a movement called the Vineyard Movement. And what was quite funny is, is, is in retrospect, I, I can completely understand why, why churches would not have been comfortable taking someone like me on. But the guy that was mm. pastoring that as a church met me as a member or met me as a person coming in. You know, I joined a home group. He got to hear about me that I was studying, invited me to see him. We had a great conversation about experiences of God. And he, and he was just very clear as someone who prioritized the relational presence of God. Mm. He, he just recognized that I had this legitimate calling, that it was God that was genuinely calling me. I didn't fit the mold. And for whatever reason, he'd been cursed, blessed with my, <laughs> with my <laughs> presence, attendance in the church. And, sure. and in the world of, 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 of basically, you know, what he explained to me is, is the whole thing of like, when you see people and you see what's there, they won't necessarily hit your radar. But when you see people with the with the with that with God sharing you what God sees in them, and when God shares with you what God is wanting to do in terms of growing them and that, then your your pastoral role is to is to get in tune with what God is doing and follow that. Mm-hmm. And so he was just very clear on the on the idea of like, <laughs> you know. Mm. This is uh, this is not necessarily a good fit for you, but God's God's calling you, and I guess you want to become mm. a pastor. That was His mold, you know. Calling to ministry is a calling to become a pastor. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was a if there was a sort of a, a a push towards a specific rung. And so my early experience was 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 very much that it was that it was that push towards ministry as a pastor, meaning that you're going to work in a church for the job of being a youth pastor, and I was I was arguably the world's worst worst youth pastor. I hated teenagers. I didn't want to be a teenager. <laughs> I hadn't processed my childhood. And here's a whole bunch of little shits that I've got to be a pastor, you know, like a youth pastor yeah. to. And so they don't want to be there. And I'm like, cool, you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Let's see what we do. So <laughs> you know, so so that 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 was where I started. And then that transitioned quite quickly because when particular church leader uh, who was uh it became a mentor and later on a friend of mine when he moved on and the new guy took over, the new guy was very clear, you know, and, and, and he, he was wonderfully clear. He, he did things like he changed the password to computers and the locks on doors. So I'd pitch up Sunday night to, 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 to run the local Bible school <laughs> and the locks would be changed. And there I am with a bunch of people, you know, <laughs> not knowing that this was going to be the plan, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there was lots of things. <laughs> he, he, he was certain, I guess, that I wasn't called and, and he was going to do the corporate thing of working me oh, out wow. and make the, the, the working environment as hostile and uncomfortable as possible. And he very successfully did that. <laughs> so he was certain you weren't called. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, really, really genuine, encouraging, sensitive. Kind of a standard pastoral response to difficult people. I'm sorry for all the really good pastors out there, but there are a lot of shitty ones. So, 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 so really, my my experience was that was that bookend of 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 one person basically going, "I'm going to take you under my wing. I I really see that you've got this calling thing, and I, I want to be there when it comes to fruition." And the next guy basically going, mm, the young adults in the church have a life of this of their own. This is your fault, and I'm going to put an end to it. <laughs> you know, and and basically that was my end. That was my out. And so I went into very quick deconstruction back then. And although I've helped mm, with churches mm, after that, mm, and I helped even sure. plant a couple of churches, and I loved that early phase of of church planting. 
I developed my own ministry venture where I basically felt that church wasn't working for people that I cared about. And, and God was basically going, look at this person. I'm showing you this about them. And, and, and me in that language of, of, of seeing what the Father is doing, hearing what the Father is saying, wanting to put my hand and my voice to that. It just led me to this path that, uh, of working with people that, yeah. that just didn't fit with the church and recognizing that I didn't fit with the church. So, so that was my, my early process, really. At least on first reflection, there's some, some real resonances there between our stories, while at the same time, some, some wonderful differences, I think, as well. So one of, the, one of the reasons I left the church and I swore I would never go back was I had been a youth pastor for five years. And they were five of the best and worst years of my life of being, of being employed at a church organization. So I was employed in a traditional church to work with, with young people. And conversely, so this is where there isn't resonance, I absolutely loved it. I've, I've loved working with kids since I was very young. Um, but the organization itself was, uh, it, it was like how I picture people used to grind flour. <laughs> it's just this millstone that just worked and worked and worked and worked. And it was all those silly parts of the church organization that I often think we'd do, we'd do a lot better with, like leaders meetings. We called them council meetings. There was all sorts of ridiculous stuff. But, but there was also a guy who came in. So the guy who employed me left within six months. He was called away by the bishop to go somewhere else, which is what you can do in Anglican churches. And then we had a short period in which we didn't have anyone kind of overseeing the church. And then they brought some guy in from England. And we had high hopes that this was going to go well. And within six months, myself and my colleague, the assistant priest, were in our first disciplinary hearing <laughs> because it was not going so well. But it was the usual kind of incredibly deep spiritual things that we fought on. Like this guy wanted us to wear uniforms when we played in the band. <laughs> and we didn't. You know, like really deep and meaningful stuff that, that mattered for, you know, for people's souls and their future. Yeah, absolutely life-changing stuff. And, and I just dug my heels in and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in that stuff. You know, and as I thought back later, my reason for doing that was, and this is where I find resonance, is in some ways I was also having incredibly what I felt were deep and meaningful encounters with God. Uh, and I was growing language around what that meant. But the encounters themselves were unmistakable. There was something happening within me that on the one hand I could put my finger on, on the other hand I just couldn't. It was, it was just beyond me. And when that was put in juxtaposition with people who ran organizations like your, your friend, the lock changer, <laughs> you know, and, and my friend, the you have to wear a band uniform or... I was sent home one evening. <laughs> I was coming to preach and I was sent home and told, uh, I will not preach. Wow. This is what I'm told by the leader of the church. I will not preach tonight unless you go home and change into long pants and a collared shirt because that is what is appropriate for leading worship in a service. And I'm like, dude, on mm. the back of, I don't know, I'm like sowing my life into this place to try and make a difference. And that for me is springing out of these incredibly life giving encounters. With God, and that's really the level at which you want to engage. And that was, I think, some of my first understandings, and I didn't have language for it, of deconstruction and going, this is not right, this, this church thing. 
So, so different to you, my, my upbringing had been my, both my grandfathers were priests, Anglican priests. My uncle was a <laughs> priest. Wow. My mom sang in the choir. My grandmother on my mother's side was a, a, a lay minister for like 40 years next to my grandfather. And my father himself almost became a priest before he went into education. And so we'd been raised in a very religious home with church every Sunday, even if you don't like it. And, and so I used to push back by going and playing Metallica in the church car park at like strength 11 on my dad's car radio while he was having tea with all these old ladies and driving everyone nuts. But it was, it was heavily formed by the church and the church mm. is so important and all the rest of this sort of stuff that it took me a long time to realize essentially kind of a permission that I was allowed to deconstruct and go, this is not working. Because I'd been kind of, I want to say steeped in that, but almost steamed in this atmosphere through my whole life. Like it permeated through me that it was church and church was important. But I discovered this, you know, I started to discover this God behind this, this church experience. And that's what I was desperately trying to help the teenagers that were sort of in my care connect with was none of this crap on the surface, but really the deep down meaningful things. And yeah, so I just went through this process of just realizing you know, this is rubbish. This is really rubbish. Can I interject there for one second? Would that, would that be okay? How did the process start? So yes, there's, there's the point where you start deconstructing the calling for yourself. But there's a time before that where you're someone in church, you're steeping in this heritage, and then you become a youth pastor. How, how did that happen? What is the story of that? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, that centers around one incredibly sort of, for me, dramatic moment in my life. I almost died when I was 19. I had an accident and my arm went through a window and I almost bled to death. And then just a, a number of small miracles, literally small miracles that kind of led together. And then I was still alive after that. And so going into that day and that moment, that experience, I, I was sort of you know, although there's this always this shell around you of church, you have to go to church and it's important, et cetera, et cetera. That was my first year out of school at 19 now. And I'm realizing, yeah, I'm probably not going to go to church actually on my own. Um, and so I just was losing the interest in, in this whole thing, even though it had been very much a part of me and it was, it was still deep down. And then it, this was... Yeah, it, 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 in many ways, that, that part of it ends up being almost a, you know, there's the language of the constructivists that, that basically go, it, your, your experience of God is, is produced and it's, it's predicated on all these other structures and activities being there in your life. Yeah, yeah. And so if you remove that, then of course, the experience of God is going to go away with that, although, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there was, a, there, was, there was no desire in me because previous to that, I hadn't really had what I would be able to describe as any kind of real mystical experience of God. But that was the January of my first year out of school. And on the 24th of Jan, I had this accident and I woke up in the recovery room and I remember shouting, Jesus, at the top of my lungs. Must have scared the bejesus out of the, the nursing staff there. But literally, like screaming out, Jesus, Jesus. And then it slowly became, Jesus, help me. Jesus, stop this. Please help. Please help. And it was just so incredibly painful. And, and so that was a defining moment in my life. And I had some, some very clear experiences of God following that. 
And, and for about nine months, there was a very deep patch for me of a very formative mystical experience. And so that's the entry point that you're looking for is the, the natural kind of, if I can put it, it's a funnel. You have these mystical experiences in the top of the funnel and they kind of bounce around. But eventually I find that the sides of the funnel are the people that you're around and the Christians and the culture, et cetera, kind of goes, well, if you're doing this, like, why aren't you part of a church? You've got to be part of a church. Surely you should be part of a church. And so I, jo- I started off as, a, as just being part of a small home group. It was myself, two other guys, and, and the chaplain who was at the school that I was working at. And from that, transitioned into a church body. And from there, my, you know, my love for teenagers and working with young people just kind of came out. Um, and so that's where that second rung that you're talking about earlier starts to show itself up is, well, if you, if you say you're having these experiences and you're interested in doing this kind of stuff and you're also specifically not interested in going and doing other things, oh, well, then you must go into youth ministry. And from there, the next rung is obviously, especially in the traditional church, there's only so long, so long you can be a youth pastor before people look at you like there's something wrong with you and that you're just not intelligent enough to you know, graduate to higher, more intellectual levels of ministry. And so that's, you know, that funnel continues to push you towards, there's actually only one spout, which is, I think, what you were alluding to earlier and is, is my sense of it, that the calling into ministry is there is only one outlet it's you're going to become a pastor or a minister or a priest or something. And very few people buck that system and may become you know, missionaries or something else, even more arbitrary. But really that's that the people who have those kinds of experiences, whether they're called or not, are going to be pushed down that spot. And there's no latitude to explore. It's quite simple. Oh, well, I guess you're going to become a priest. The whole conditional environment makes it the obvious next step. All these these things that basically go, if you can checkbox the following things, do you love Jesus? You know, are, are you interested in theology? Do you want to see people's lives change? You know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It basically goes, you check all those boxes, therefore the next step is is this next box for you. And that is become a youth pastor uh, or a youth Past, what do they call it? Youth worker and then, then a priest? I mean, uh, you know, not being in a traditional church, we've got this language of, you know, pastoral and, and, and workers, you know. Yeah, no, no, we went the heretical way of having a youth pastor. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's fascinating because I, I can see part of it being that in no other sphere in my life were people really talking about God. And so the place that took that seriously to some extent was this church organization. And so in some ways for me as well, it, that was just, well, you know, if I wanted to become a lawyer, then you go to law school because that's where people talk about law, right? And they only go to a lawyer when they're having a divorce or you know, they have to sue someone. Or so then they go to the person who specializes in that area. Otherwise, we pretty much ignore it. You know, and I found the same with, you know, religion, theology, that kind of stuff. And so even there at that level, I was speaking to myself, I guess, and going, well, that's the natural spot. In terms of our society, I think I think that's, that's spot on because I, I, you know, that is often the case, you know, is if you're looking for someone to marry you, you're looking for a priest of some kind, right, or a pastor of some kind. If, if there's a funeral, if there's a, a birth, you know, those kind of key life events, the the institution of the church and its professional workers are very much a part and parcel of it. I think our society lends itself towards that kind of institutionalization and that narrow specialization. And along those lines, like, like I think that's, that's all good. 
you know, if I, if, if I need a lawyer, I, I don't want an armchair lawyer. I want a real lawyer, right? <laughs> if I, you know, if, if I've got a medical problem, right, <laughs> or I need to see a surgeon, right, I, I, you know, a surgeon is a particular kind of person that takes medicine <laughs> yeah, seriously absolutely. in a very narrow sphere, right? They, 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 they specialize. And in that sense, if I'm dealing with those particular kind of problems, you know, I can have them as friends in life and we can relate. But if I have a medical emergency or a long-term chronic issue and I need help, I want to go to the person that specializes with it. And I guess in that sense, it is, it is, it is 100% uh, clear that the natural extension of that, when it comes to, to the spiritual and the mystical side to life and the experiences of that and the issues related to that, what you want to do is go to the people that specialize in doing that. And in that sense, you want to go to someone who's made their, their work and their specialization, what they've really sunk their teeth into and, and done really well at is this thing called ministry. And, and we have a box for that. We have good careers for that. So in that sense, just on the way our society works, we're all, I think, 100% agree that that's good, right? <laughs> and that it's only when you take the next step beyond that that you start deconstructing it to go, yes, it's good, but, and it's, it's the but that we really we really want to talk about. Absolutely. I, th I think in the same way that if I went to a surgeon and I had a torn ligament, my expectation would be that they were going to wheel me into an OR, cut me open and fix the ligament. I wouldn't expect them to take a completely different direction and go, well, you know, perhaps we should try some of this or some of that, or perhaps you should do some therapy first or whatever. You think, Oh, hang on. <laughs> the reason I came here is because this is what surgeons do. They use knives, they cut people open, they fix them. And it's it's such a narrow definition of surgeon. And, and it's not a complete analogy, but it just helps me to go. It's the same thing when we look at people who've done the ministry career thing. Well, you're good for births, deaths, marriages, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's a very narrow box, as you talk about. Um, and it get, becomes very restrictive. So many people that set out to go into ministry actually just leave. I, I don't know what the stats are, but if I if I think back to everyone that I studied with and and just do a tally in my head of how many people are actually in formal ministry or still in formal ministry, it's quite low. That thing of this isn't what I thought it was is part of the hints of the changing relationship that people have to uh, religion, spirituality, mysticism in general. And the changing role of the institution, or the or the need for the institution to change, and the the frustration in relation to that, and and it's just a it's just a narrow box. Like I, I talk to so many people who the reason why they left ministries, they didn't feel that they were fulfilling their calling by doing it, and it was a later question of 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 almost trying to rediscover their calling. And I know a lot of people that are doing ministry and going, well, I do ministry, but it. It, it pays the bills and mm. gives me an opportunity to do my calling. And, and it puts me in touch with people in, in a different way to if I was a doctor or a, you know, a tax consultant or yeah. a salesperson yeah, or, or whatever. You know, and, and so they see that as giving them the opportunity for it. But there isn't a one-to-one -one relationship generally. For some people, there is. There's always that exception that proves the rule, right? <laughs> and if we leave that exception aside, the vast majority of people... That, that I know that have gone into ministry experience a disparity between their calling and the work that they're paid to do. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the, I would be one of those stats of people that explored that sort of full-time life in, so in the traditional church, ordained ministry. 
and decided that that was not for me. So I was on track to go into the priesthood in the Anglican church. And I, I eventually pulled out because I could start to see that this is, this is, this is not going to work. This is not going to fit who I am. But interestingly is that the, the church, at least at that point, only had one operating mechanism for that. And it was to decide whether you were a priest or not. And even then I had some rather impolite, impolite, uh, impolite thoughts in terms of how they were going about that. I mean, my, my real take home was they made it as hard as possible. And anyone who stayed the course became a priest, actually. And, and that's it's a, a process of attrition and elimination, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, if you could just stick it out, then you got to become a priest. And I wasn't willing to stick it out. So the mechanism was in or out, but there was no latitude in terms of, okay, but if you're not going to be a priest, are there other ways in which we can explore the idea of calling? But that doesn't fit because there is only one box. You're either in or out. And so... You know, I think organizationally that is unhelpful because then it's not actually exploring calling. It's just exploring whether you tick five or six boxes. And I know people now who went through a similar sort of time period ministry based with me who were desperately unhappy then and are even more unhappy now. And others who have gone through and were happy then and are happy now. And then sort of anything in between along the spectrum. But I also often come across people with that same idea of, this is not really what I signed up for. And, and I think for me, part of it is, is, I think it was Dion in his interview with us that said he's not actually sure whether he ever discerned a calling to ministry. I think it was he that said that. But there was just a sense of calling in general. And I forget his exact words, but there was a sense of, you know, these are the kinds of things he was interested in. And the only path seemed to be to go and become a Methodist minister. and. And it's just sad for me that there isn't, there isn't provision made for people to explore the length and breadth of, well, what, what might your calling mean? What if we were to get rid of just this one box or add a number of boxes or just look across a spectrum and go, rather than you're in or you're out, what is God saying to you specifically? And in some, thing, some ways, I think that's antithetical to the organization because it's not... It's not built on what God is saying necessarily. That's a, it's a very blunt critique, but I do think it is, it's quite valid. And so it doesn't pay to actually ask, you know, what God is saying, you know, because he, he might say burn down the institution and that would be a rather self-defeating investigation <laughs> to go into. In fact, the last uh, conference that I went to, one of the, uh, one of the, the, the speakers was the retiring uh, head of the, the, the Vineyard Church in Essa, Costa, mm. Costa Mitchell. And he was basically going, you know, he preached his his, uh, his session on on what are you doing to get fired for Jesus kind of thing. And basically going, <laughs> you know, go and do that, go and do that. And I sat there thinking, <laughs> I sat there with a, with an inner smirk of just going, you're going to hate me for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just going, just going, the, 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 the problem with people thinking that, or at least I, I think that these, these more uh, beverage independent movements have got a lot of language for, for taking risk, right? Mm. But the box is still narrow. So, so, so there's still the assumption that you're going to fit within that narrow box. And, uh, and of course I don't. So, <laughs> but, but I definitely took that as a, and, and we had a, we had a bonding encounter where, where I asked him to, um, to, 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 to bless me as a, as an older 
male that I that I know, mm. you know, who 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 I have a I have a relationship with, and he did, and he cried. Well, I cried, and he cried, and blah 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 blah, <laughs> all of those good wonderful things. But 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 I I definitely took that as a, as permission to go. Fine, I'm going to give you. You know, I, I take this as permission to offend you. Mm. I take this as, as as permission to basically go. If I if I really fulfil this it's going to break the relationship and I'm okay. I, I have to be okay with that. It's going to break my relationship with the institution of the church to such a degree that I, I don't know if it's recoverable, but I have to do it. And um, yeah. So, so in some senses, I, I, I you know, it's, it, it's still, it, the, the institution itself is still theoretically quite permission giving for that. Hmm. It just doesn't expect I just don't think that its mechanisms are geared towards enabling people to explore the variety of what a calling could look like and then getting behind them to enable people to do that as their predominant career. Mm. You know, and so that ministry box is so is quite small and narrow. And if you fall outside of that, you're on your own. You've got to you've got to make your own funds, right? Mm. The, the institution is not going to support you to do what the institution doesn't want you to do. And what the institution wants you to do is quite a narrow job and role that looks like being a priest, looks like being a pastor, or you're on track to do that with, yeah, as, a, as a vital support within that system. Absolutely. It's, it's like those workshops within a particular congregation or community around reimagining our church. It's not really what they're talking about. <laughs> because there's, there's, there's only so much space to play with. I was having a conversation with a, with just a ministry colleague this morning. And she was saying, she's moving into that space and her church leadership was saying, sure, coming out of this lockdown thing, you know, we should really be just reimagining what our community looks like. And all that really means is making a couple of sort of window dressing changes to a service potentially. Uh, it doesn't really mean, do we have permission to, to really shake this thing around and see what boxes remain and which roll out the door and, you know, which ones we need to jump up and down on, et cetera. Um, because it doesn't pay the institution to do that kind of thinking. Yeah, I mean one one of the um, one of the documentaries I watched uh, recently, Super Size Me Two. I don't know if you've if you've watched that. I've only seen the first one. So the the original Super Size Me is is fantastic. It's a guy who is in reasonably good health that decides he's going to do takeaways, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, and supper, specifically McDonald's. And if they say, "Would you like to supersize that?" then he has to supersize it, right? And he quickly transitions from a person of health to a person of, of ill health and, and is not healthy. Super Size Me too. he basically goes, if you can't beat them, join them. So his goal is to open a franchise, a fast food franchise. And he digs into the, the mechanics of it. Oh, wow. and, and, and he really gets into nitty gritty. And there's this, there's this brilliant scene where, you know, everyone runs fried chicken, um, well, people say they want grilled chicken, but fried chicken tastes better. So what they want to do, what you want to do is serve people fried chicken, but then you paint on the grill marks and stuff like that. <laughs> and of course, he tastes this and it's, it's, it's fantastic. And he looks at them and he, he basically says to this company that helps uh, these restaurants prepare these kinds of things, and he says to them, so how healthy is this? And they start laughing <laughs> because it's not. It's got a halo of health, <laughs> but the system is what the system is. And I, I found a lot of inspiration for the Doing Church uh, research project that I did a few years ago from that kind of grounded research in that sense of basically going, 
you tell what an institution is about by what they do. You start with what they do. And I feel like with the institution of the church, we start with exactly that. We start with, with what is the primary event that they invest the majority of the time in? And that is the activity of doing church. It's the primary uh, week service, usually a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. And behind that, there's the machinery to support that, which also includes preparing people to study for the ministry. Right, so it's where do they go to study? And what are they studying for? What is the expectation of what they should do? And when I think of it at the end of the day, this box of ministry comes down to you're, you're working in a church. So you're either helping in a church, assisting in a church. You're either the team leader in a church, you know, the, the boss, or you're planting a church and, and you're either growing or maintaining churches uh, and sometimes declining. But the expectation is that you're going to turn that around, right? <laughs> You know, and so and so, what do we send people off to study? Well, when we send them off to study, we send them to study a whole bunch of interesting stuff that's, that is very relevant. It's a lot of good stuff to be studying. But the goal is to prepare them to serve in churches, to run churches and to plant mm -hmm. churches. And, and when I think of it, it, the machinery really comes down to that for me.